This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. We're going to have a word of prayer um, in just a moment. Um, a lot of distractions come into our lives. Uh, when we come together like this, a lot of things we're thinking about, a lot of things could happen to take our minds off of what God has to say to us today. So we're going to pray that God will capture our, our hearts and our minds and kind of wipe the slate clean so we can absorb uh, the truth of the word today. also want us to pray for a couple things. Uh, we have about a dozen or more, I don't have the exact number, but a bunch of people who are um, from our church in Honduras today. They arrived there Friday. We'll be coming back this coming Friday to do a week of medical and construction work with our missionaries, Larry and Sheila Benson. Down there, we're going to pray for uh, them. And then also going to pray for Pastor Steve Wise. Steve's here today, and uh, Steve's going in this week to the hospital to have a procedure done on his heart. And I know he would appreciate your prayers for that, and uh, that God will uh, guide through all that, and it'll come out really well at the end. Um, so let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Lord, a lot of folks here today um, uh, who, who all of us, Lord, need to hear from you. Uh, we thank you for that song that we just sang, uh, that not only did you go to the cross and take our place, but that you abandoned the grave, that you rose again uh, to be victorious and to lead us in victory day by day by day. Lift up Steve, uh, Lord, in the procedure he'll have this week. Pray that that all goes really well. Guide the doctors, give Steve uh, comfort and peace about this. Uh, pray that, uh, Lord, it's uh, successful in every way. Pray for um, our men and women, young people who are down in uh, Honduras right now. And, um, uh, Lord, they're uh, serving. Uh, today they're worshiping, but, Lord, I know even later on today there's going to be some hammers driving nails and saws cutting boards as they rebuild the house that was burned down uh, back in December and work on that. And they're going around the island checking blood pressures and giving out medications and doing the basic things for people that don't have those kinds of things offered to them. So lift them up. And, and uh, may, Father, the, uh, the result of this week be that your gospel has been spread and hearts have been opened. Uh, so bless as we now open your word, uh, God, to us. Pray that you'll, you'll take our minds and our thoughts and any distractions, God, and remove them uh, from us, Lord, so that we can just totally devote our thoughts and our minds on you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Welcome to our guests. We are uh, in a series called Urban Legends, and we are going through 10 different, 10 different things that Christians often believe, but really you can't find in the Bible. And we've been talking about those things. Today is the fifth Sunday, so today we're not only in the middle of the summer, but in the middle of this series, and uh, looking forward to the next five and, uh, but today we're talking about the urban legend that says, God has a blueprint for my life. When you've got a really big decision to make in life, maybe it involves a relationship. Is he or she the, the one for me? Uh, maybe it's a financial decision. Should I spend that much on a car? Should I commit myself to 30 years of payments on that home. Maybe it's an educational decision and you're a young person and you're deciding which college, which university is it that I should, should go to. I've got these different applications and so forth. Where do you want me to be, God? 
Maybe it's a career move. Maybe it's a relocation. Maybe it's a surgery that you're talking about, thinking about putting off, or should I do it or not? Lots of major decisions come upon us in life as life goes on. When you have a really big decision to make, do you find yourself, Christian, almost pleading with God to show you his will? Do you pray extra hard uh, to make sure that when you've made the choice, you've made the perfect choice? Do you look for signs or divine coincidences, if you will? Or do you put out a fleece and say, okay, God, here's the deal. I'm going to do this. And if you do that because I did this, then I'll know that you're showing me what you want me to do, that you're explaining and revealing your will to me. Some people look for signs and coincidences that they're convinced God caused or, or doors that they, they say opened or closed as indications that God is leading one way or another. Uh, some look for something inside, like, like a sense of peace. And I'm not going to ask you how many of you all have done this before, because I have, and I bet a bunch of you have done this as well. But some people say, I'm going to discover God's will by playing Bible roulette. You ever play Bible roulette? You hold the Bible, you know, and you kind of go, okay, God, there's a verse in here that's just for me. And you like a Ouija board, you go, boom, there it is. And you read that verse and you say, this must be the will of God for my life. You ever done that? A lot of people do a lot of things uh, to find God's will. Others seek the counsel and advice of trusted friends. But most of us simply, and it's a good thing, but we pray and we plead with God, show me the way. Let me know what your will is. Now, today in the 21st century, with the click of a mouse, we can find the will of God. Did you know that? I was watching TV last night in a commercial. Came on television. ChristianMingle.com. How many of you have seen, seen that commercial? Are you Christian and single? You know, and, and, uh, and there's this commercial on there, and their, their catchphrase, some of you jot this down, ChristianMingle.com. Their catchphrase... <laughs> Their catchphrase is this, find God's match for you. Click on the mouse, God shows you his will. What did God do before the age of computers and the internet? I just kind of, wow. I find it interesting that when Jesus said, here's how I want you to pray in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and he gave us this model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and Part of that prayer, one of, one of the phrases in that prayer, and you know it because you've said it and, and you've memorized it, but one of the things he said and that we ought to pray to God is this, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He did not say that we are to pray, God, reveal to me a sign. God, show me a dream. Do something. He said we're to pray for God's will to be done here like it is there. How is his will done in heaven? Well, I would guess it's done without question. I would imagine God's will is done in heaven obediently and, and immediately. Without question, obediently, immediately. I, I only know of one instance when someone in heaven decided not to do God's will, and as a result, he and his followers were cast out. His name was Lucifer. We know him as Satan or the devil. So this morning, the big question that we're dealing with is, how do I know the will of God? It says in Romans chapter 12, 
Read this verse with me. It's up on, up on your screen, but read it with me. Let's say it together out loud. Second part of the verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now that, may sound, that makes it sound to me like God saying, I want you to know my will. Makes it sound that this is important in, to God for us. Something important to know. In fact, it sounds like knowing God's will is possible, doesn't it? that you may discern so that you can know. And even that there is a perfect will of God. Now, let me ask you a question. Got a lot of folks been around, maybe you've been around churches in all your life, and maybe you've heard teaching like this. I have. Uh, probably somewhere in the past I've taught this. That in your life, there is the perfect will of God. But if you don't get the perfect will of God, there is also the permissive will of God. Anybody beside me ever heard that? Perfect will of God, permissive will of God. Has anybody else, just, just a few of us, I've heard that taught, you know? And, and, and here's the deal. If it doesn't, God says, here's my will, here's exactly what, I'll, here's my best for you. But if that doesn't work out, okay, I haven't booted you out. I've got a permissive will of God, which must mean, if it's not perfect, it must be What? imperfect. Now, let me ask you a question. Does God ever sign off on something that's imperfect? Does God ever sign imperfect? Yeah, you got my name there. That's okay with me. Yet yeah, that's what we've been taught, many of us. That's what we believe. If we really do, we really think God would say, this is my will for you, but I'm okay if you choose something else. Really? Does living in God's will mean, however, then, does it mean that everything is beautiful every day because you live in the will of God? Does it mean that those Christ followers who have tragedy or failure or poverty, does it mean that somehow they have hopelessly missed out on the will of God? Is that what that means when life doesn't go like maybe we hoped that it would? And if that's so, was it, for those people, was it really just too hard? for them to find God's will for their lives. So, is God the architect? If there's a blueprint, there must be an architect. If we say there is a blueprint for my lives, for my life, there must be, it must mean that God is the architect. And then if there's an architect, that means that the pages of the blueprint for my life, for your life, would include things like a specific, specific preordained career. It would include things like the address of the house that I'm going to live in. It would include things like the model and the color of the car that I'm supposed to drive. And even though people that accept the blueprint ID, even though God has drawn all of that up for us, given us all those details, for some reason his will is still hard, so hard to find that we got to plead with him, please God, show me. What a lot of us have been told, it's what a lot of us think and believe. And so as a result of that, we spend a lot of time and energy searching for and praying for what we think God has designed just for us. But the idea of a divine, detailed blueprint for our lives is a myth. Here's a reason why. Jot this down if you're taking notes. It confuses, a blueprint confuses God's omniscience with his will. 
Confucius, Confucius is omniscience. Omniscience means what? God is all knowing. He knows everything. Does God know everything? Absolutely. Yes, he does. He knows how many hairs are on your head. For some of us guys, that keeps him busy. He knows how many hairs are on your head. That's pretty detailed knowledge, isn't it? But that doesn't mean that before the foundations of the world were laid, in eternity past, God foreordained that you would be bald. Is that what it means? If that's what it means and you do go bald and then sometime later on in life due to the urging of your wife or someone that loves you or some TV commercial, you go out and get hair implants, you've rebelled against his will in some way because that wasn't in the blueprint. Here's what we need to understand. While God doesn't have a blueprint for my life, he does have a game plan. There's a difference, and we'll talk about what that is. What is a blueprint? Blueprint is detailed. If you've ever looked at a blueprint for a house or a building, you'll find everything in that blueprint down to what size screws and nails to use, what trim to use, what color to paint everything. It's all there. But imagine a builder who looks at the blueprint, he's getting ready to start, getting started to build your house, and he looks at the blueprint that you've paid big time bucks to an architect to draw up, and you say, yes, this is the house I want, and the builder looks at the blueprint and says, I don't like this at all, I'm doing something different. And you go by, and as you probably would on several occasions, you go by and check the progress of your house, and you see that you know, he's ignored some parts of the blueprint that he didn't like. That's not what blueprints are for. You don't mess with blueprints because if you start messing with blueprints and changing a little bit here, you've got to do what? Change a little bit there. And pretty soon you don't have the building you started out to build. You follow blueprints. To many Christians, that's the best metaphor they can find. For the will of God. And so they think, some of you maybe believe this. I hope to discourage you from believing what I'm about to say, but some of you believe when you pulled in the parking lot this morning, God had designed the very space, parking space, that you would pull into today. And you saw it ahead. You said, that's the, in the will of God. That's my parking space. And then somebody beat you to it. <laughs> what happens then? What happens when, when you see that for sale sign in front of that house and you look at that house and you agree this is the dream home that we've always wanted and you go to the realtor and you, and you bid, you, make, you, know, you say this is how much we'll pay for it and you, just, you claim the victory, God, this is the house, this is our dream house, this is exactly in the location, what we've always wanted and you give the bid and you find out you've been outbid by someone else and they get your dream house. What happens if you've applied for a job? And it's the perfect job, and you've prayed about this job, and, and the job comes open, and you, you put in your application, you send in your resume, and you just have a great, peaceful, easy feeling inside that this is the job, and God's provided this job, and then you find, lo and behold, somebody else who lied on their application, on their resume about their qualifications, they got hired instead of you. And some of you say, but God would not allow that to happen. 
if that was what I prayed about and that was what, what I believe God wanted for me, that doesn't happen. God stops those kind of things from happening, really. If so, then what you're saying is there is no such thing as human free will. And we become robots. Look at it this way. What if Joe Christian, in a moment of, in a moment of spiritual rebellion, what if Joe Christian marries the wrong woman? Now, guys, I'm not talking about you this morning. But what if Joe Christian, hypothetically, marries the wrong woman? If God won't allow that to happen, then we're just simply puppets on a string. And if he does allow it, here's what happens. If you believe the blueprint thing and Joe marries the wrong woman, here's the chain reaction that starts. Joe's marriage has the potential to ruin the whole rest of the world. Here's why. Because not only has he married the wrong girl, but now her blueprint is all messed up because she's married the wrong guy. And the girl that he should have married and the guy that she should have married, their blueprints are all messed up because Joe married the wrong woman. And what about the kids that Joe and this wrong woman that he married, they have children. What about them? Wait a second, God's in heaven going, wait a second, they're not supposed to be, I don't have a blueprint for them. Is that how it works? All goes back to Joe and he messed up. So everybody's blueprint, chain reaction, that in just a few generations has messed up thousands of lives because nobody's blueprint that was drawn up from the foundation of the world is right anymore. It's all been goofed up. Is that right? It's right if there's a blueprint. Well then, Rick, does sometimes God, does God ever have a specific plan in mind for my life? Is there something that God really did? Let me give you a biblical example of God having a specific plan in mind for somebody's life. There was a guy in the Old Testament. He was a prophet. His name was Hosea. You familiar with Hosea? Here's God's specific plan for Hosea. I want you to marry this woman. She is an adulterous woman. Her name is Gomer. <laughs> surprise, surprise, surprise. You're going to marry Gomer. You know, how can that be, God? You want me to marry this woman named Gomer? I mean, can you imagine you're at a social event and you get to go up to somebody and says, I want you to, I'd like for you to meet my wife, Gomer. Couldn't you, we could use your, what's your middle name, by the way? You know, you know, marry this wife, Gomer. But not only did God have this woman picked out for him, but God said to Hosea, and she is an adulterous woman. She is going to cheat on you. How many of you guys would marry a woman that you knew? It was God's specific plan that she was going to cheat on you and sleep with every guy in town while she's married to you. That was God's specific will for Hosea. But it went beyond that. And God said, and I want you and Gomer to have children. Wow. You want God's specific plan? There is an occasion where God laid it all out, had a blueprint, a, spit, a pretty specific plan. And there are other examples, not quite so, wow, but some good things that where we see that God has specific plans for the Israelites. You'll go where I go. You'll move when I move. I'll show you every place you're to camp. 
Paul, you're not to go to Asia, you're to go to Europe. There were opportunities and there were times, occasions in the scripture where God did lay out specific plans, but even for Bible characters, those were not the norm. They were exceptions, rare. Here's some negative sides. If you're looking for a blueprint and you believe in the blueprint, here's some things that will happen to you negatively. One is this, you will be paralyzed by fear. What if I take this job? I've been, I'm put out these applications, seeking your will, God. What is it that you want, this job that you want me to have? And I, and I got a call today from the, from the personnel director of this company, and they've offered me the job. What if I take this job today, and tomorrow a better job is offered to me? What do I do then? Because the Bible says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. If I say yes to this job, as a Christian, I'm bound to take that job and keep that job. So what do I do, God? I'm scared to make a decision here. You become petrified of making a mistake, and decision-making becomes overthought, and good and acceptable options get rejected, unless it's spelled out in the Bible and you have some freedom to choose. You're going to live in fear. A second negative is you'll be focused on the wrong things. Instead of being concerned about the things that really matter in life, Things like justice and mercy and obedience. Instead of being focused on those things, we get focused on things like finding the right mate, choosing the right career, renting the right apartment. Aren't those important things? Sure they are. Those those are important choices, especially the one about about a mate or even a career. They have lifelong impact. But please understand, they, even as important as they are, they are not as important as having a life of daily obedience to the Lord. I believe God's will gives us much more freedom than a blueprint. And he doesn't give all the details. And a lot of times when we ask him, God, which one, which way? God, often his response is, you know what? I'm going to leave that up to you. Either one's okay with me. In the vast majority of decisions and situations, God is not concerned. Listen to me. He's not concerned with where we work as much as he is concerned about how we work. He's not as concerned about where we live as he is concerned about how we live. And uh, and he's not even as concerned about who we marry. And I'll talk about this in a moment. For Christians, he is concerned that it's a believer. But he's not concerned so much about who we marry as he is concerned about how we do marriage. If you read the New Testament, here's what you'll find. There is very little evidence and very little emphasis in the New Testament that there is like this blueprint thing. There's very little emphasis on the kinds of decisions you and I typically stress over. Oh God, do I do this or do I do that? What you do find emphasized in the New Testament, in the epistles especially, is that God is concerned about things like our character and our daily obedience being a pattern of our lives. A number of years ago, a young Christian woman. She grew up in a church, not this church, but grew up in a good 
Christian home in a good church that taught the Bible. She became a Christian at a young age, brought up with these values, but she attended our church for a while, but she got involved in a relationship with a young man who was not a believer. Now, I'm going to read some scriptures in a moment that tells us the Bible's very specific and says that's disobedience for a Christian. And as so often happens, she went against what she knew was right because of what her heart felt. She went against what she knew was right, and then she ended up moving in with him. And sometime later, she had not been in church, hadn't seen her in church for a long period of time. But she called me up because I was the local preacher that she knew, and she asked if I would marry them. She was beginning to feel guilty because she was living in this relationship that her whole life she knew from the Word of God, from her upbringing, her mom and dad, this is not right. Well, we'll get married. Rick, will you marry us? I asked her on the telephone, I remember the call, and I said, let me ask you a simple question. Do you believe it's God's will for you to be married to this man? I think that's a good question, don't you? And she replied, Yes, I believe this is God's will. You know, it's very easy. Jot this down in your head or your heart or your papers. It's very easy to convince myself that what I want is okay with God. Do you ever find that true with you? I want this so bad, God. You did say delight yourself also in the Lord, and you give me the desire. I desire this. We can convince ourselves. My response to her when she said, yes, this, I believe this is God's will, my response to her, can you believe, some of you know me, can you believe my response was not well accepted? Because some of you know where this is going. If you come to Rick for counsel, please understand, I'm just going to speak the truth to you. And I said to her, how can you possibly know God's will when by your very life, every day right now, you are living out of it? How do you claim to know the will of God for your life when every day you're living outside of what you know is the will of God? Well, thank you very much. Click. One thing that sin does is that it blocks our spiritual ability to discern the will of God. Finding God's will for some things like, like in her case, like sexuality, like marriage, is, is not hard because those things are very clearly spelled out in the Bible. For example, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 says, so run away from sexual sin. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching. Oh, yeah, but that's what you say, Rick. He says, but you're rejecting who? God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Hebrews chapter 13, 4, yeah, but marriage is just a piece of paper. It's just, you know, a formality. The Bible says marriage must be respected by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge immoral people and adulterers. 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now you look at those verses and that sounds like God's saying it in some very specific, plain, simple ways, here's my will for your life. Instead of trying to wait for God to drop a blueprint down from heaven or write your future in the stars, 
you need to think of God's will as, for your life as a game plan. He wouldn't tell, you, tell us that we could know his will as he did in Romans 2 if it wasn't so. You can know the will of God for your life even if you're, well, yeah, but what if I'm a brand new Christian? What if I'm a young Christian? I don't know all the Bible. Come on, Rick. Well, here's what Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty nine. He said, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. You don't have to wrestle with the issues. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is what? Light. Do you notice, by the way, the word yoke in there, take my yoke upon you? It's interesting. It's the same word from the Greek that Paul used in 2 Corinthians 6.14 when he said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. A yoke was something that coupled two things or two animals, teamed them up, partnered them together. Paul said, don't be coupled together, Christian, with an unbeliever. Jesus said, you want to be yoked to somebody? Be yoked to me, my yoke. That's God's will. That's God's game plan for your life. So no matter whether you've been a Christian for decades like some of us or maybe just this past week you trusted Jesus as your Savior, here are the things that we all need to master in life to live God as, life as God pleases. Get these things down. You want to know God's game plan? Here they are. Number one, obey what you know. Obey what you know. We start by obeying what we already know to be God's will. Now, maybe you don't know a whole lot, but you've seen Charlton Heston and you know the Ten Commandments. Okay, start there. All right, you know that. You know that. You know that God says, don't lie and don't steal and don't have any other gods and be faithful to your spouse and so forth. Start with what you know. And then as you walk in what you know, you'll find that as you walk down this path, the light begins to get brighter and grow, grow brighter and, and, and spread on more things. The path of obedience will lead you to more and more light. It's very discouraging to me as a pastor and, and is to the rest of us who are believers when we, we see a professing Christian who is obviously doing something that he or she knows is wrong but still claims to be following Christ. Really? Or who says, well, you know, you know, I know it's probably not the right thing to do, so I want you to understand I'm praying about what I should do. And they're doing something that they know the Bible says is wrong, but they're praying about it. They're still following Jesus, but yet Jesus said, hey, you know what? You know what following me means? He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you're following me, that means you do the things that I say. And about prayer, you can pray all you want. You can pray 24 hours a day, but if you're living sinfully, please understand the Bible tells us God has no obligation to hear your prayer. Really? Does the Bible say that? In Psalm 66, verse 18, the psalmist writes, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. The psalmist is saying, the only prayer that God hears when I'm practicing sin is this one. All right, Lord, I repent. I've been wrong. Otherwise, what happens when I'm living in sin and I know it's not the right thing to do, it blocks my prayers to God. Do what you know is right. Now, this next one is a big challenge to some of us in the room, all right? Number two, 
Use your brain. As mama said, God gave you that head for something more than a hat rack. Even in spiritual matters, God expects you to get the facts and get them right. Solomon noted that the righteous, that he said they live in light partly because they get the facts right before they choose a course of action. Look what he said in Proverbs 4. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter till midday. Those that live a righteous life for God, it's just like God, as they take every step, the light gets brighter and brighter the direction they're going. But what about the other people? The way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom. Why? They don't know what makes them stumble. They don't have a clue. Don't be mindless. God gave you a brain to use. Mom used to tell you, so use it. He gave you a brain for a reason. Does that mean if I use my brain that I don't need faith? You know, there are some people say, well, you believe in God, you must be stupid. Only smart people, all smart people believe there can't be a God, really. God gave you a brain and, a brain and it's to work with faith. Faith fits the facts. I may not understand what God is up to all the time, but being illogical, just going out and doing something stupid is not a sign of faith. Red flags are flying on the beach today. But I'm a man of faith. I know there's lifeguards are saying, don't go in the water. But I'm a man of faith. I believe I can see that rip current. And because I'm a man of faith and I believe God's going to protect me every step of my life, I'm going swimming in that rip current. And when they pull my lifeless body out of the water, and you look at me laying there on the beach, gray and bloated, He sure did believe in God, but doggone, he was dumb. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Use your brain. And if your brain isn't so good, don't elbow your husband. If your brain isn't so good, find someone who knows the Bible and whose brain works and ask them for some help. Use your brain. Number three, think biblically. Think biblically. Listen, is an athlete who never attends team meetings, you know when the coach gets the blackboard up and he draws the X's and O's, and he says, here's what their defense is like, and here's what their offense is like, and here's how we're going to attack their defense, and here's how we're going to stop their offense. And they have these team meetings, and they go through all. Is an athlete who never attends the team meetings Is that player going to know the game plan when game time comes? No. That brings back the verse that we started with in Romans 12, too, that said God wants you to know his will for your life. And you know what knowing does, by the way, when you know God's will for your life? It brings peace. It brings confidence that the next step I take is okay because I'm going where God wants me to go. Remember, how many of you remember WWJD? Remember that 10, 15 years ago? That was the hot thing. Wear a little bracelet, WW, what, what would Jesus do? Well, please understand, it does no good to say we're going to do what Jesus did or try to do what Jesus did if we don't know what Jesus did. What do you mean? You have to become a student of the Bible. You got to find out what did Jesus do before you can do what Jesus did and put it into practice 
And guess what you'll find out once you start reading this and you find out what Jesus did and what God's will is according to the scriptures, you'll find out that God's ways are sometimes totally opposite of the ways of the world. But when you start to apply the principles of the word of God, when you start to think biblically, you'll also find that you start to live that way. That's why here at Nagstead Church, we make no apologies for saying to our partners in our congregation, you need to be in church on Sunday because we teach the word of God here. You need to know what the Bible says. We make no apologies for saying to every partner in our church and those who attend our church, hey, you know what? You ought to, you ought to get involved in a connection group where you get with a group of people who study the word of God and discuss the word of God together. We make no apologies for saying, you, you teenagers, you need to be uh, at youth group. You need to go to youth camp. You need to, you parents need to be sure that your kids are there where they're hearing something that is truly God-given and life-changing instead of being constantly bombarded with what pop culture and their friends are saying to them all the time. Here's the deal. You cannot, like an athlete, you and I are believers, we cannot live by the game plan if we never learn what's in the playbook. Can't do it. Think biblically. Number four, master the basics. Again, with the analogy of sports teams, athletic teams, you know, baseball, spring training, and football, it's summer camp. What do they work on when they get to spring, spring training and summer camp? You know what they work on? They work on the fundamentals of the game. They work on the basics. They, major league ball players are working on the same thing, David, that you work on in your practice in your baseball. They're, doing, they're learning how to bunt. They're learning how to run the bases. They're learning how to do the basics of the game. Drills over and over and over again in football. Here's how we tackle. Here's how we block. And they have those dummies, and they go through the tires to get their knees up when they run, and they do all those drills all over again. Why? Because the coaches know if we get the fundamentals and the basics down, everything else comes a whole lot easier. And there are some fundamental parts of God's game plan that you and I have to know and we have to master. What are those, Rick? Well, they are the very clear, we read some of them a few moments ago dealing with sexuality. They are the very clear black and white commands of Scripture. They leave no room for doubt. God wants me to be kind. The Bible says that. That's fundamental. That's basic. God wants me as a husband to love my wife. That's basic. That's fundamental. God wants me as a Christian to live a holy life that pleases him, to avoid the things that will ruin my life. He wants me to share the gospel. God wants me to be part of a local church. Those are basics. A lot of them even start with God's will for you is, and you fill in the blank, it's there in the scripture. For example, it's God's will for you and I, if we're sinning, it's God's will for us to repent. 2 Peter 3, 9 says he does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. That means to turn your mind, change your mind, go the other way. So it's probably, if that's God's will, and I'm not living the way God wants me to, it's probably a waste of my time to ask him to show me his will for a major decision at that point in time in my life. What I told that young lady, how in the world can you know the will of God? Look how you're living. It's God's will, Ephesians 5.18, for every Christian to be filled with. That means controlled by the Holy Spirit. It says so right there. That's God's will. So am I? 
I filled with the Spirit? Am I controlled by Him right now? Are you? That means my life is clean from all manner of impurity. That means the things that we avoid, those things that are harmful to us, they have no place with our lives because they cause problem with our fellowship with God. Last point this morning. Overarching principle of all this will of God stuff is this. Don't miss this. God wants you to become more than he wants you to find. He wants you to become more than he wants you to find. If you're here this morning, please listen to me. Hang on with me. If you're here this morning, maybe you're invited by a friend, however you got here today, maybe you've been here before, maybe you have not, but if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, I have no reason for not believing that God wants you in his family. That's why he sent Jesus. And that starts, you enter his family when by faith you admit your need for him and believe that Jesus died to pay for your sin and to give you forgiveness and to give you his eternal everlasting life. I believe that's probably the will of God for you, but I'd have to ask, have you ever done that? That's where living the will of God, the game plan of God, that's where it all starts. If you've never done that, this morning, right where you are, you can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Most of us in this room would say, I've done that. Great. Please hear me. God does have a plan for your life, for all of us. But it's not a blueprint. It's a game plan, and there's lots of freedom there. Our quest, my quest in this game plan is to become someone. God wants me to become. What does he want me to become? He wants me to become like Christ, doesn't he? That's what he wants you to become. He wants you to be a reflection of him in the everyday life that you have at work, at home, at school, at play, wherever it might be. He wants you to become like Jesus. Would you bow with me in prayer? It's easy, Father, for us to complicate things that are simple. The more I get to know you and your word, the more I realize it's not full of minute details. It's just kind of a simple thing. Trust me, believe me, obey me, follow me. Do these things that are the basics. Get the basics right, Rick. And I guess, Father, that's what it means for us to delight ourselves in you, is that we begin to do the basics, the things that we know. And as we delight ourselves in you, the light on that path grows brighter and stronger. And Lord, the things that we desire become the things that you desire for us. If there's someone here today, Lord, that has never taken that first step on that path by believing in Jesus, I pray that you might open his heart or her heart to yourself today. There's a Christian here today who's really struggling with a major decision, and they've been agonizing in prayer, and they're frustrated, and they're stressed out. Help them to realize, Lord, that, that you do have a game plan. And maybe the choices they have, maybe either one of them is good with you. But help them to seek your word to make sure Lord, that we're not doing anything that would violate the scriptures. There's your will. 
Thank you for the playbook. Help us to, Lord, more than seeking the details, help us to seek you, to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.